If you will please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. In the Bibles, in the chairs, it's on page 939. Our one verse of study is printed in the bulletin. There is the meditative call to worship. We're beginning a new sermon series today in Romans chapter 8 that will take us on through the rest of the year. I've been looking forward to this series for quite some time, calling it the greatest chapter in the Bible. That's just according to me. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) But we're going to get into some of those themes on why we think that. Not that the other part of the scriptures are inferior, but this chapter contains some of the most wonderful promises, some of the most wonderful truths that have been dear to believers for thousands of years. So let's get right in. Romans chapter 8, one verse of study for us this morning. This is God's holy, inerrant, inspired word. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, just those words alone contain the most precious promises that we could ever hold on to in this life. And so, Lord, as we mine the depths of this truth, would you teach us? Would you instruct us in the way that we should go? We pray in Christ's name, amen. What is biblical Christianity? What what is biblical Christianity? Have you ever thought about that question? Have you ever asked yourself, what, what are the ingredients that make up biblical Christianity? It's an important question. Uh, This question has been important for nearly 2,000 years since Christ has come to this earth and the church has been established and the scriptures have been written for us. But it's an important question, especially today, as our culture is becoming increasingly hostile to Christianity. Uh, Even more, uh, the culture that we live in right now wants to redefine what Christianity is. I mean, have you noticed in the headlines lately, in the news, that every time some rock-solid pillar of biblical truth of what Christianity has stood for for 2,000 years, every time someone makes a statement about it, people go bonkers, (laughs) like it was a new thing that just came up, a new truth that just came about. And so what our culture is wanting to do is redefine Christianity to make it more palpable, to make it more nice. But to answer the question, what is biblical Christianity? We have to go to the book. We need to go to the scriptures. We go to the Bible, the book that is about Christianity, that defines for us what it means to be a biblical Christian. Have you ever uh, used a, a family recipe, a, a recipe, a family favorite dish, been in your family for years, and you just love this dish. You've cooked it many times. You've cooked it 
So many times you really don't have to even look at the recipe. You just kind of know what to do next. You know just how to make it. But have you ever cooked one of those very familiar recipes that your family loves and gone to take a bite out of it and gone, hmm, that's not right. (laughs) There's something wrong here. And then you realize, oh, no. I left the chicken out of the poppy seed chicken. You know? <laughs> you left out a key ingredient, and it, and it threw off the whole thing. Well, here in Romans chapter 8, we, we have key ingredients to what biblical Christianity is. And if we leave out just one thing, it throws the whole matter off. It, it would be no gospel at all. There would be no Christianity if it wasn't for the truths contained here in Romans chapter 8. But to be sure, we don't want to leave anything out. We want to make sure we're defining biblical Christianity according to what the Bible teaches. Because if we leave out, again, just one thing, the whole thing is thrown off. And that's why Romans chapter 8, I believe, is the greatest chapter in the Bible because of all the wonderful truths all the wonderful ingredients that it has about the true life that is ours in Christ, of what biblical Christianity really is. This chapter contains the best news on earth. The best news on planet earth, which is actually called the gospel. The gospel, the the euangelion, the, the good news. Is what the Bible is all about. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died in our place so that we might be righteous before a holy God. That is the gospel. Jesus died in our place so that we might be righteous before a holy God. And Romans chapter 8 is going to give us verse by verse, phrase by phrase, even word by word, this wonderful news called the gospel. And so here in Romans 8, we're going to discover many, many key ingredients to this good news of Jesus Christ. And the first key ingredients to this good news proclaimed to us in Romans chapter 8 is that the problem of condemnation has been dealt with. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so to know the gospel, to know these wonderful truths, we need to know the words of these truths. And so these words here in verse 1 of Romans chapter 8, we're going to examine them word by word. And let's do that by asking a series of questions this morning. What is condemnation? How has our condemnation been abolished? When is this going to happen? Who is this good news for? And why should you care? So let's look at those questions one by one. The first is, what is condemnation? The scripture says there's now no condemnation. Condemnation is not a word that we use very much in our modern day vernacular. It's often just regulated to be a Bible word. But it's not solely a Bible word. Condemnation is the act of of condemning someone to a punishment. 
So it's actually more of a legal word. Just in case you're wondering, condemnation is not a good thing. None of us want to be condemned. But why does Paul begin this section, this greatest chapter in the Bible, if we want to call it that? Why does he begin with something, some word like condemnation? Why not start with something like this? Therefore, there is great love for those who are in God. Why doesn't he start there? Why doesn't he kind of get happy here? Why does he begin with a negative? Well, the truth is, because that's where we all start. We all start in the negative. We begin with the negative because that is illustrative of our condition. Apart from Christ, we are condemned. We are dead in our sins. Our negative, our adverse, our natural condition apart from Jesus Christ is that we are spiritually dead. We are dead in our sins. And our sinful condition has earned us a guilty verdict before God. We are condemned. This is not good news. This is very bad news. But Romans 8 verse 1 declares for us an amazing promise that there is no longer condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And so that leads to our next question. How has condemnation been abolished? This sentence begins with an interesting word phrase here. There is therefore. This is language used when you're making an argument. And so Paul's kind of logically trying to lay out the gospel here and to make an argument and show what the consequences of that argument are. And so when the Bible uses the word therefore, a good Bible translating and uh, Bible study thing that we should do is ask, what is the therefore? Therefore. What, what, is, what is Paul talking about here? And so to understand that, we need to actually go back to Romans chapter 5. And so we're, we're not going to do that now. We read it in the service earlier. That was our scripture reading, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 6 and 7, uh, most scholars believe, serve as kind of a, a parenthesis in, in Paul's argument. And so there's 16 chapters in Romans. Paul wasn't writing chapters and verse. He was writing a letter to the entire church in Rome and so he had some news to preach to them. He had some, some biblical instruction to give to them. And so you know how it is when we're making a long argument or describing something. We might have the, oh, by the way. In a sense, that's what Paul was doing in chapter 6 and 7. But chapter 8 seems to pick up on these wonderful themes and wonderful truths that Paul was teaching in Romans chapter 5. And so in Romans chapter 5, again, our scripture reading this morning in your bulletin, it's a wonderful passage. And there we learn a great foundational truth that all of us are born to this world in Adam. We are all like the first person of God, Adam and Eve. We're all born into this world sinful. We're born in this world guilty and condemned sinners. This is what the scriptures teach. 
But the good news from Romans chapter 5, we read, was that in Christ, condemned sinners can now be declared righteous in God's sight because Christ is righteous. And so Romans 8 verse 1 serves as a summary of that truth. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because we're no longer in Adam. And so this verse, Romans 8 verse 1, it stands as a a banner over the entire chapter. It's a a singular truth. It's, It's almost like a heading because if you were to look at this sentence in Greek, it's, it's a statement of fact. There's actually no verb. So we translate it in English. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But really in Greek it would say something like, Therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this truth is the great miracle of God's love. It's what the Bible calls justification, where we are declared righteous, not guilty, no longer condemned because Jesus took on our sin. He received the guilty verdict for us, and we received his perfect righteousness. That's the great miracle of God's love. Another word that is important that we key on here in this verse is the word no. For those of you who are parents or like us have a little young dog running around, you say no all the time. (laughs) No, 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 no. But here is a word, a a beautiful two-letter word, no. It means none. It means no one, it means nobody who has been declared righteous in God's sight can be condemned. No one, nobody who has received the righteousness of Christ can ever receive the guilty verdict of condemnation again. In Christ, in Christ, our condemnation has been abolished. And so the next thing is, when is our condemnation going to start? I'm sorry, when is our condemnation going to to end? In other words, when is the the verdict going to be enacted? Uh, When is the the condemnation verdict going to, to go away? When do we get to jump up and down with joy and proclaim, I am innocent, I've been set free. I am no longer condemned. When do we get to do that? And that leads us to another great word here in this sentence. And that is the word now. Now, right now. Don't start singing Van Halen song, uh, Pastor Russ. He, he does that. So. <laughs> Our innocence is now. There is therefore now. Right now, no condemnation. This word in Greek is a particle of the the present time. It's a present reality. Our justification is truth right now. At this present time, God's salvation is right now for us. 
But if we really think about it, there's two ways to understand this now. There's kind of the, the finally now, like, ah, oh, finally now. It's a present reality. We get to experience it. But there's also the, the other way of kind of thinking about it, the, the already now. Already now, you know, are we the anticipation? So which one is it? Is it the finally now or the already now? Anybody know? It's both. It's both. Finally now, already now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a present reality. It's a future reality. It is right now. And this is, this is the amazing truth about the gospel. Justification is an already now and a finally now. The, it's the good news right now. And so the next question, who is this good news of no condemnation for? Who gets to believe and accept and receive this wonderful truth? One of the greatest themes of this chapter here, greatest chapter in the Bible, is the eternal security that belongs to those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who have believed and accepted the free offer of the gospel can now be absolutely assured of their salvation in Christ. And so this entire chapter really serves as a series of arguments proclaiming that truth, proof of the, the surety that we have in Christ Jesus. Our salvation is, is guaranteed. We can have assurance in Christ Jesus. But justification is it's not for everybody. Justification is not for the whole world. It's not for good people. It's not for moral people. The scriptures are clear that it is for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. In Christ. This is actually the proper biblical way to, un to describe someone who's a Christian. Someone who has escaped the condemnation of sin and be declared and been declared righteous in the sight of God, they're called in Christ. And so to be a Christian is to be in Christ. To describe yourself as a biblical Christian does not mean that you begin by describing the types of Christian activities you do, like I go to church. To be a biblical Christian means you declare what has been done for you in Christ. You are in Christ not because of what you do. You are in Christ because of what has been done for you. And so if God has drawn you to himself, you are in Christ Jesus. You are no longer a child of Adam, dead in your trespasses and sins. You are in Christ Jesus, and to be in Christ is to be in right relationship with God and to have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit 
And sin, though it remains in you, no longer has authority over you because you are in Christ. This is God's great love for us. That we're no longer in Adam, condemned and guilty. But we've been supernaturally joined to Jesus Christ. And we are no longer condemned because of what Jesus has done for us. And that righteousness can never be taken away. We are not condemned because of God's audacious act of love whereby he condemned our sin in Christ by his death. And so if you are in Christ Jesus this morning, there is no condemnation. Lastly, so what? Why should you care? Why is this important this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, you have no idea what I've done, Pastor. You have no idea of the sin in my life and the sin I have committed. It's unforgivable. I'm just biding my time here on earth. If that is you this morning, and you believe that your sin is unforgivable, then you need to hear these words. If you believe that you're a sinner, that you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This truth is what makes Christianity so awesome. (laughs) And this honestly is what the truth that sometimes makes it unbelievable. That this news is too good to be true. But it's that good. But maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking this right now. You know, I really haven't done anything that bad in my life. I'm. I don't really have a lot of regrets. I don't really have this wild life to point to, all this sin. I've lived a good life. I I try to live for God. I was born into a Christian home. I go to church. I worship the triune God, and the the church I go to believes the Bible. I'm, I'm not really sure this message is for me. That's probably good news for somebody who, you know, has really bad stuff in their life. But brothers and sisters, if you think that this morning, this news is for you too. (laughs) Because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You need to know that before the world began, before you were even a thought, you too were saved from condemnation. You too were were shown the love of God in Christ Jesus, not because of your righteousness, but because of God's love that superseded anything that you could call good and acceptable and pleasing before God. His mercy extended to you before you had a chance to live a wild and sinful life, running from God. And we need to know That his love has saved us from a condemnation no matter when it happened. Yes, the love and the grace and the mercy of God is that awesome. It's that wonderful. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you don't really care. Maybe you haven't listened to a single word that I've said and you are looking at your clock going, I cannot wait to leave. Oh, it's communion. The service is going longer. Darn. (laughs) Then you need to hear this. If you don't see this morning that you are a sinner and without hope except in the sovereign mercy of God, then you are condemned. If you're not in Christ Jesus, then you stand condemned. And Presbyterian preachers don't say this very much, so I'm going to say it. You're going to hell if you don't put your trust in Christ. You are condemned. If you're not in Christ, then you will spend eternity away from him, and this is not good news. And so if that is you this morning, I beg you, the Spirit begs you, repent. Repent of not caring and repent of indifference and ask God to break your heart of stone and show you your great need for Jesus Christ. But for those of you who are in Christ Jesus, for those of us who love the Lord Jesus, our everlasting King, isn't the gospel better news than we could ever imagine? When Jesus died on the cross for our sin, he died for all of our sin. Okay, so we we, we say that all the time, right? He died for all of our sin, all the sin you've committed, all the sin you might commit, all the sin you will commit. But here's the mind-blowing reality of the gospel. That when Jesus died on the cross for your sin, your past, your present, and your future sin is already forgiven. Even the sins that you might commit and and will commit, even today, they were already forgiven in the past. It's hard to get our minds and our hearts around how good that is. Our future sin is even an already settled matter. Your salvation is that secure. It is that settled in God's eyes. And so Romans 8.1, without ambiguity at all, is declaring this morning that in Christ there is no condemnation and you are accepted before a holy God. Charles Wesley wrote a wonderful hymn that explains this truth, and can it be. It's the one verse says, No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold, I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Because no condemnation, now we dread. You know, one of the ways that we uh, often show people that we love them 
and Cornerstone does a, a great job of this, is one of the ways we show love and show people that we're thinking of them and we want to know them is we share a meal with them, we, or we take them a meal. We take them food or we invite them over. And what better way for our Lord Jesus to drive home the truth of Romans 8, verse 1, than to invite us to a meal this morning? Jesus has put a meal before us. A meal that actually shows and proves that he loves us. A meal that shows that our our condemnation has been taken away. And now he wants to share a meal of reconciliation. This is not a meal for his enemies. It's a meal for his friends. Those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the Savior says to us this morning. Truly, truly, I say to you. Whoever hears my word. And believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into the judgment. There is no condemnation. But has passed from death to life. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. May God help us to believe it. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for this news that is almost too good to be true. We thank you that it is true. We thank you that your love is that good. It is that perfect. It is that complete. That we who are in Christ Jesus can stand before you as righteous. And it can never be taken away. And it will be ours up until the day that we claim the crown through Christ our own. Lord, we praise you and thank you for these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and and sing in preparation for communion. Thousands of years, brothers and sisters in Christ have gathered together to confess and profess what we believe, and so let's do that now through the Apostles' Creed printed there in your bulletin. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate 
was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. As we come to the table, gather here these words of institution from Matthew chapter 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You know, the bad news this morning is that apart from Christ, except for the sovereign, saving mercy of our, our Lord, we, we're all condemned. We're not in a right relationship with God. We are guilty sinners in Adam. But then the gospel breaks forth and shines forth and, and te- preaches to us. There, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's as if the entire New Testament is screaming that truth. <laughs> and Jesus wanted us to know it in as many ways as possible. And so here this meal this morning is another way for him to show his love that his body was broken. His blood was shed so that we would not be condemned. That is the good news of the gospel that we get to feast upon as we take this meal. And so if you are in Christ Jesus, come and eat the meal of reconciliation. But if you're not there yet, repent, turn from your sin, turn from yourself, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And pray to him. And then afterwards, come talk to me. And let's pray about it. And let's, let's grow in grace together. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would take these common elements and set them aside for your holy purposes to teach us, to show us your grace and your mercy and your love that are ours in Christ Jesus. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen.